habit that I have. Well, tonight uh, we are looking uh, at the book of Exodus as we have continued in our study. Uh, and we, we find ourselves at a kind of a new season of, of Exodus. And so by way of review, when we stepped into this book, we discovered a people that were enslaved to an empire of oppression. The people of God were crying out as they were enslaved in Egypt. And this nameless Pharaoh who was oppressing them uh, becomes this example for us of the many nameless evils that we face in our own lives. And much like the Israelites were in need of rescue and redemption, we find ourselves in the same space, in need of rescue and redemption. We can get lost chasing after lesser things, but God is looking to to redeem if we turn towards him. And the Israelites' cry of rescue us was answered by God and his sovereignty and his goodness. And as we looked in Exodus uh, chapters 1 through 15, uh, you may remember this kind of breakdown that we're going to walk through. We we see God's act of redemption, that he takes a people that were enslaved, he pulls them out of the land, and in miraculous fashion as he battles on their behalf, and we watch as they are led through the Red Sea on dry ground through the miraculous provision of God, and the people were set free. Their cry answered. Salvation came to them before anything else. God rescued and redeemed his people. And then in Exodus 16, chapters 16 through 24, uh, we found ourselves at the foot of the mountain, Sinai to be more specific, as God gave his instruction to his people, the Torah, his law, his commands. We talked around this idea of these Ten Commandments that we were given that, that really form this sort of a trellis that, that helped to give strength to the people of God and the way in which they should live. And that the law that we often give such a bad name was really God's gracious provision to his people to say, as, as my people, as my kingdom bears, as my name bears, I want to see you flourish. And the best way for you to do this is to follow my pathway, to follow my words of life. And so we see that God gave these instructions. And as we've gone through some of them, we've been confronted by them, sometimes in uncomfortable ways, as we're not quite sure how to take these words into our day and age. And we go, how does this match the heartbeat of God? In other ways, we're, we're confronted because we see ourselves living so differently. And I love that last Wednesday night, we were reminded once again, as Pastor Sam reminded us that we're, We're called to pause and to find rest in the Lord, something I think we all so desperately need, but we push beyond. See, God gave us these laws, these rules, these Torah. He gave them to his people so that they would represent him. They would live differently than the culture around them. But it was also a a life that was to be invitational that something else was possible. That's what God was saying in and through his people, that there was a different way to be in relationship with God and to live for God. And what we now step into in Exodus 25 through 40 is we begin to see God's desire to be present among his people. 
But he wants to dwell with them once again. And we're going to see that in his instructions for the tabernacle. We're also going to see the people's blatant rebellion in the midst of that as God is setting up this system for him to live and dwell among his people. And if you were with us this last weekend at either campus, uh, Pastor Jason and Pastor um, Lucas both talked around this idea of sacrifice being necessary, that blood was required in the covenant that God was calling his people into, that there needed to be atonement, that there needed to be a way to be present with God that we could not accomplish on our own. In Exodus 24, we read this in verse 15. It says, Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. We see in this moment as the people are at the foot of the mountain, the elders are a little bit further up, and Moses is being invited in in this moment as this cloud descends that God's glory is dwelling, abiding, remaining, resting on top of Mount Sinai. And the people watched as what looked like a devouring fire, this, this terrifying look of what was happening on this mountain. And suddenly they see Moses go into the cloud where he would remain for 40 days and 40 nights in the presence of God, receiving instructions while the people were to wait below. Now, 40 is a significant number that we see come up throughout Scripture over and over again. It's a period of, of waiting and testing. And, and within the book of Exodus, we see Moses kind of going into exile on his own for 40 years as, as God waits and prepares him to call him back out. We're going to see in the people's rebellion that God is going to allow them to wander for 40 years in the desert. And if we jump way ahead, we're going to see a moment in time in which Jesus goes out into the wilderness to be tested for 40 days. See, this period of 40 is actually where this practice of Lent originated from. It's 40 days from here until Easter if you take out each Sunday. Sunday is kind of this reprieve. And it's a practice that's used to to test and to prepare us and also to remind us of this waiting for the fulfillment of Jesus to come again. But now what we see here at the foot of the mountain is the people are waiting for Moses to return. And in this period of waiting, we will find that they fail, and they fail miserably. Their impatience will get the better of them, and their need to act would take them down the path of lesser things when they should have fixed their eyes on the greater that was right in front of them. But in in the midst of all of this, Moses is in the presence of God having a conversation. And and what are they talking about? What's the instruction that God is giving to Moses that is going to shape and form the people? What's he saying to them? Well, we we see, again, these plans being given to Moses, the system that's being set up because God's desire is to be among his people. 
that he wants to be known by them, he wants to have relationship with them, that he wants to be in the center of their camp, that he longs to dwell among them, live among them, and be known by them, and to be their king as they live for his kingdom and his way of life. See, when we start to hear that again, we should start to hear these echoes that should take us back. And often where we have to go back to is to the very beginning where we step into the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve dwelt with God. They stood naked and unashamed in his presence. There was no barrier between them and God. They were partnering with him. He gave them clear instructions in what they were to do throughout all of creation and this this mandate to cultivate a world that represented God. And they were the image bearers of God. Wherever they were to go, they were to carry God's presence, his kingdom, his values. But what we see in the garden is that they would choose to trust themselves over God, that they would choose to breach God's trust. And in that breach, they were cast from the garden because the unrighteousness that now crept in as sin wrapped its roots around them could not stand in the presence of a holy and an awesome God. And so God in his mercy moves them from the garden. In his graciousness, they are taken out of the garden. See, we watch this play out over and over again, and in our own lives, we feel this same pull, this breach of trust that happens that we wrestle with daily. Are we going to really trust that God is who he says he is, or are we going to trust our own way once again? And this sin that so entangles us and gets its roots around us, it hinders us, and it forms us in in a way that is so much lesser than the true reality that we were made for. So God would give Moses instructions as to how the the camp was to be set up, how the tabernacle was to be built, this sanctuary, this dwelling place of God in the very center of camp. And I think it's this beautiful picture that God was giving not only the Israelites but us and how he was structuring this, that everything was to be built around his presence, their homes, their lives, Everything had this built-in, live-action, visual reminder in this tent where God would dwell, where they could see and and see the, the priests come with sacrifice, but see the very presence of God descend in glory on this place. It was to be a physical reminder that God was to be the center of all things in their lives. See, God was inviting the people to life with him, to a life built around him, because that's how we best function is life with him. And yet again, as we'll, we'll discover as we go further in this study, that the people will reject God and chase after something so much lesser. And not long after saying to the Lord, we will do whatever you ask us to do. We will follow you. We will trust you. They instantly lose patience. They lose patience with Moses as he's on the mountain. They lose patience with whatever God is doing, and they they lose their way. And, And while I always read this and I go, how did you do that so fast? Don't we all do the same thing? 
Don't we all have those moments where we're like, Lord, I trust you, and we feel so close to him, and he's so present, and we're like, I will chase after you with everything I have. And then the, the very next moment, we're, we're falling and stumbling again, going, how did I get here so fast? See, but the beauty in all of this is that God does not give up on us, just as he didn't give up on the Israelites. While the failure of the people would result in 40 years of wandering, that would not end God's pursuit of his people. The the temporary tabernacle would eventually uh, become a more permanent uh, temple where God's presence would reside. And, And when you'd see this whole land and people built around this structure and these sacrifices as they would try to stay attuned to what God was doing in and through them. But even still, as we read through the pages of Scripture, we see a people that would stray from him. Eventually, they would stray to the point where they were ripped out of their own homeland and exiled in a place where they were strangers and foreigners once again. But God, in his graciousness, would bring them back home. But still, there were always these wandering moments and this chasing after other things when God had said, I have a better way for you. And then, around 400 years of of silence, no prophets, no word from the Lord, nothing, as the people sat wondering, had they just been forgotten once again? And then the Lord, gracious and merciful, hearing the cry of his people and acting a plan that he had put in place long before, would come to rescue and redeem his people. But this would not be a temporary rescue mission. This would be an eternal one. See, we read in John 1.14 that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as, as the, of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God would send his Son to dwell, to abide, to remain to tabernacle among us is what that word means, to move into the neighborhood. And as the Gospel of Matthew reminds us, that he would be Emmanuel, God with us. And where once the blood of animals was required, Jesus, in taking on flesh, would give of himself entirely and pay it in full for us. He would bridge the gap He would mend the breach of Eden for us and he would overcome on our behalf. And to experience this life in him, to experience this freedom that comes from him, what we have to do is trust in him. Repent from our ways to to turn back towards him and say, I will follow you and I trust that you have overcome on my behalf. And through him, we have access to our creator. Through him, we have a relationship that can be built on his righteousness, not on our own, his his lasting goodness, and not our fickle, prone-to-wander failures. It's by him and through him that the very spirit of God now dwells and resides in us. 
See, Roman 8 points this out in verses 10 through 11. He says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you, that rests and remains within you. What was once impossible which once required countless animals slaughtered so that we could pretend in some ways to atone, but never lasting atonement outside of what God could do for us. He, what was impossible for us, he has made possible through Jesus. But the recognition that we have in these moments and, and where I want to turn our attentions to, even though it's not fun to, is that we continue to wander We continue to pursue things that are so much less than him. And we, like the people of Israel, will see the miraculous moments in our lives where God reaches out and moves in us, and yet the very next day we turn away and we fail. And so as we enter into this season of preparation, of of remembering what Jesus has done on our behalf, I want us to remember our failures. And I want us to name them and confess them before the Lord because he sees all, he knows all. And I know some of you feel your failings acutely. They just ride with you at all moments of the day. And we put on a mask pretending like everything's okay when we know that it's not, that just right below the surface, if people find out who we really are, So you feel your flaws. You feel your faults. But here's what we also know to be true. That if we confess our sins, as 1 John 1.9 reminds us, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so that we do not have to remain named by our sins or faults or failures. We don't have to be defined by those things because of what Jesus has done. And so tonight, as we step into this season, I want us to begin with confession. To spend time admitting our shortcomings, our failures, our blatant lies, those wrong actions, those moments where our mind has wandered those moments where we have intentionally allowed our mind to wander, those moments where we need to just confess that anger won and it's ruling our hearts right now. But we need to confess that we're simply pretending or just simply so tired of faking it, that we're just simply so tired of trying to do this on our own, to bring all of those failures, all of those faults, all of those flaws to bring them before him, recognizing our deep, deep need of Jesus. And so what I want us to do in this time is however you need to, if you need to now move away from people so that you can just be with the Lord and just confess to him, if you need to just get to a space where you can get on your knees and just confess to him, We're going to spend some time.
I'm going to invite the worship team back up and they're just going to give us some sound underneath. But I, I want us to take advantage of this time and I know you're thinking, I did not come here for this tonight. I needed a lift and now you're, you're asking me to confess. But here's the beauty of that if we confess he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness. So in these moments, let's just come before him and let us confess. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Lord, in these moments, we come before you and we acknowledge our failings. God, we acknowledge that we don't have it all together. And Lord, where we need to, would you just convict us now? Would your spirit just be sifting and searching us so that we can just put to death what we need to put to death in our souls to bring it before you who is faithful and just to forgive us who has cleared the path who has made it possible for us to be forgiven fully and completely so use these conversations now Lord as we confess to you that we are sinners in desperate need of you. So let us come before him now.
as we come and we confess. If you need to stay in a posture of confession, then I'm not trying to rush you. But I also want us to remember that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when we confess, it so often drives us to our knees when we come to a recognition of just how holy he is. But in his goodness and his grace, he offers real freedom. And as a symbolic way of acknowledging that, I just want to invite you to stand to your feet right now. As hard as that may be, I want you to stand to your feet and in a posture of just receptivity, I want you to, I want you to hear these scriptures. That as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. He is faithful and he's just to forgive us that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And for our sake, he made him who knew no sin to, to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And as John eight thirty six reminds us that if the Son sets you free, then you will be free indeed. So let us cling to our Savior. Let us look to our good King. Father, we pray that in this time that we would continue to, to put you at the center of our lives to fix our very being around you in all things. And God, that we would be quick to confess our sins, that we would not try and hide them in the drunk drawer of our lives, pretending as though you don't see them. But Lord, we would open that up and let you see all things. For in you there is true freedom and in you there is life. Father, it is because of your cross that our debts have been paid. It is because of your blood that our sins have been washed away. So may we give our lives freely and know that it is because of your love that we now live in freedom. God, it is to you we give all glory, honor, and praise. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus.